Greetings to you from the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I am the voice of one in the wilderness of this life and world, crying, prepare you the way of the Lord, make straight at your prepared path, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. We have been speaking on the theme, hearing from God, for some time now, and we have noted that there are three possible voices that a Christian is open to or exposed to. The voice of Satan, the voice of self, and the voice of the Son of God. And sometimes it can be pretty difficult to differentiate between these voices. And so we set about looking for how best to be able to differentiate between these voices so that we can sieve out what is not supposed to be received by us and receive only that which we ought to receive. And that is whatever it is that the voice of God is saying to us. In our last broadcast, we um, saw how and why people easily mistake the voice of man for the voice of God. Now we saw how the man of God, a preacher of the word, one who had received instruction from God, uh, came out from Judah and got into Israel to perform what God had asked him to perform afterwards in consonance with the instruction God had given to him. He continued on his journey out, but he was deceived by an old prophet, really a false prophet. And um, we, we saw how he was deceived on the claim of that prophet to be speaking for God. So a number of times people actually hear somebody speak and think that this is God speaking just because he fits into a stereotype that they have. We also saw how Herod addressed a, a crowd at one time and the crowd spoke and said because of the eloquence of his speech said, wow, this is the voice of a God, not the voice of a man. We also saw how Barnabas and Paul were preaching somewhere and um, somebody was healed miraculously and the people when they saw the miracle and looked at how Paul had spoken, said, these are gods, these are not mere men. And we, we noted that people actually make this mistake a lot of time. So in all, we noted that among other things, people assume that a church title makes, means that the holder of that title or the bearer of that title is speaking on behalf of God or is speaking the word of God. We're talking about people with titles like pastor, bishop, uh, reverend, deacon, and so on and so forth. And once this person has a title, it means that God is speaking for them, uh, that God is speaking through them, and that they are speaking for God. That may not always be the case. We also saw that a person who, who speaks in a way that we believe somebody who's speaking from God will be speaking, would also be speaking for God, and that might be false. We also saw that people assume that once somebody is performing miracles, then that person is somebody who is a messenger from God. But we also know that there are lying wonders. There are magicians can do things that we would even wonder how they manage to do it. And if we're not careful, we'll be deceived by these lying wonders. The bottom line is that the yardstick for differentiating the voice of God from the voice of, of man or the voice of Satan is essentially the lifestyle of the messenger that God has sent to us. His own lifestyle, the lifestyle of his family, of his children, how he's spoken of, and so on and so forth. In this broadcast, as we had earlier mentioned in the last broadcast, we want to address the flip side of what we looked at in the last broadcast. We want to address why we mistake the voice of God this time for the voice of man. We hear God speak, and then we just assume that it's not God speaking, it's a man who's speaking. And, you know, one may ask, is that possible? But the answer is, yes, it is possible. There are people, even amongst those of us who profess to be Christians, who, who actually mistaken the writings in the Bible, and by extension, the voice of God, as documented by the early apostles, to be of their own making. And because this is the way we view them, we definitely now get to the point where we can actually argue 
we can debate, we can subject these writings to our own personal scrutiny without any form of reverence, say that these, these writings are from men and not from God. In fact, there are people who have made it their own life mission to put down the writings in the Bible. And so they, they believe that even though it is God that is writing through these men, they say, no, 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 it is not God, it is these men who are writing. The result of this is that we are not going to lend ourselves to obeying the word of God. The moment we begin to picture or feel that these writings are not from God or ordained from God, but that they are from men. And as a result, we will miss out on the blessings contained for us. Some people, particularly of the Christian faith, have even stated that the Old Testament is to be disregarded in modern times. But the Lord Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, he said, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. That's another phrase. That's the law of prophet. is another phrase for what we call the Old Testament or scripture in, 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 the, in the Old Testament times. He said, I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. The Lord Jesus did not come to tell us that the Old Testament is to be thrown away. He came actually to accomplish all that was written, documented in the Old Testament that spoke about him. Indeed, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, the Bible says all scripture, not some, all scripture, everything that's contained within the scriptures is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, that is wholesome, fully mature, complete, and lacking in nothing development-wise, that is thoroughly furnished unto all good works. If we look at that same verse of scripture in the Living Bible, the Living Bible translation puts it this way, the whole Bible was given to us by inspiration from God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It straightens us out and helps us to do what is right. It is God's way of making us well prepared at every point, fully equipped to do good to everyone. So we see that the scriptures, as documented in the Bible, they have a purpose. They are there to tell us what is wrong with our lives. They are there to teach us doctrines. They are there to enable us to know God. They are there to help us to straighten our lives out, to correct us where we are going wrong. But the moment we begin to see these scriptures as though they are not from God, but from men, we are likely to excuse our feelings, excuse our faults, and we will not change whatever it is that we are doing. I want us to note that the Bible tells us in this last verse that we've looked at, this Second uh, Timothy chapter 3, uh, 16 to 17, it uses the word all, it says all scripture. Now, this was written by the early apostles. And when they were writing all scripture, what they considered as scripture was what is what we call today the Old Testament. Indeed, it was the scripture they used. It was the scripture that the Lord Jesus used. It was the scripture that the early apostles used. It was the scripture that the early church read, the Old Testament, the same Old Testament. Now, the scripture today is a summation of the Old Testament and the New Testament. So if we are dismissive of these writings, that is both of the Old and of the New, which in actuality is God's word or communication to man, we would not pay attention to it. We would not heed its provisions for our spiritual well-being and will become eternally damned. God forbid that that would happen to us. Indeed, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19 through to 21, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19 through to 21, 
Peter, of course, what we know now, writing by the inspiration of the Spirit of God, states as follows. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old times by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. We have been admonished by the Holy Spirit through Peter that we should do well to heed the word of God in both the Old Testament scripture, which was what Peter was referring to at the time, and the New Testament that we have come into at this time. I, I want to point out that this scripture we're talking about is how the Lord, that was how the Lord taught the disciples. This was how the disciples themselves taught other disciples in the early church. We will do well to heed the New Testament, which was added by inspiration of the Holy Spirit some 300 years after the early church started. Because there were proliferations of all kinds, all manner of writings, and, and the Holy Spirit got men together, of course, under the direction of some leaders, to put together the, the, what we now call the scriptures. They looked at the inspiration behind the writings. They looked at who the people were who wrote. These were essentially apostles attested and approved by God. And they put together a compilation which gives us 27 books in the New Testament in addition to what we have as the Old Testament. And that gives us the Bible. Now Peter continues further by the Spirit of God to speak to us that no prophecy, that is prophecy is basically the word of God or scripture itself. Scripture itself is prophecy. It says no prophecy, no, no passage of scripture can be subject to any private interpretation because it was not written by men. It was written by God. The Bible gives its own interpretation of itself and it expounds its own content. For example, the New Testament as a whole is an explanation and interpretation of the Old Testament. The book of Hebrews, which we find in the New Testament, explains the true significance of the ordinances and sacrifices in the book of Leviticus and lets us know that Christ is the fulfillment of this ordinance, that Christ has come to fulfill, to accomplish what these Old Testament writings had spoken of about him. The Lord Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 39, John 5, 39, he says, search the scriptures, search the Old Testament in his days, search even the New Testament in our day. For in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify, which speak of me. So the scriptures, the Bible as we have it today, both old and new, speak essentially of the Lord Jesus Christ from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation. And so for us to assume that it is mere men who have written these things will be for us to be mistaken the voice of God for the voice Thirdly, we want to note what Peter is telling us. That true prophecy is from God. It's not from man. And that is why, you know, when, when somebody comes and says that he's speaking by God, we need to be mindful. Because he noted, if you, if you look at the, uh, what followed in chapter 2, Peter there referred to the fact that there are false prophets, there were false prophets in those days, and so there will be false prophets and false teachers in our days. And I even say false churches as well. So we need to be mindful in, in so far as we must recognize that the word of God 
is what God put together using men to write. However, we must be careful that men do not give us false interpretations of what God has said. We must not be deceived. So it is obvious that many people have over the centuries mistaken the voice of God for the voice of man, thinking that the Bible is a human document, which explains why in many instances, Jesus' words are regarded as the words of a mere mortal. Yet the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16, the Bible says, Wherefore, henceforth, from now on, know we no man after the flesh. We don't know men according to human standards, according to ecclesiastical titles and church office or church leadership titles that they bear. Yeah, though we have known Christ after the flesh, Yet now, henceforth, know we him no more. That is, we don't know him, we don't want to know him in, in, as, as a mere mortal. We now know that he is God. The Bible says that in him dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily. We know him only as the scriptures say, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and we will do well to heed his words. Which is why the Bible then goes on to say, in verse 17 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So if a person becomes a child of God, when a person is now born again and the Lord Jesus Christ begins to live in him, we can no longer look at that person as a mere human being. We look at him as one that has been changed by the word of God and he is now a new creature. We need to stop judging people by their mere outward appearance. Something that, for example, that if a pastor has a large congregation, then definitely, definitely he is a, a servant of God. He is speaking for God. That may not necessarily be true. And the, the reverse, of course, is what some other people also say to be true. That if a pastor is, has a small congregation, it's not likely that God is really speaking to him. But that is not the case. God can speak to you through someone whose church is small, as he can speak to you through someone whose church is large. God can also not be speaking to you, even if somebody has a large congregation, as in some other cases, he may not even be speaking to you if the, if the speaker has a small congregation. Henceforth, we need to seek to know if God is really speaking through a man, whether his church is large or small, whether he is renowned or he's unknown. That's not the point. What we want to look at is, is he living a life of holiness so that we can take full advantage of what God has to send to us when he sends a message to us. So we ask, why is it that when God is speaking to us in written or spoken form, we mistake it to be a man speaking and we are thus not likely to heed his word? Why is that, why is that so? Paul, for example, feared when in writing to Corinthians, he feared that the serpent, that is Satan, would the way he, he beguiled or deceived, misled or led Eve into error through his subtlety, his craftiness and cunningness may likewise corrupt us because of the simplicity that is in Christ. We, when we talk of simplicity that is in Christ, we're talking about the sincerity, the honesty, the straightforwardness that is in Christ. Many of us are used to complex things. We're used to convoluted stories. We'd like the stories to be very complex. We'd like it to be carved in mystery. But in the New Testament, every mystery that should have been a mystery has been unveiled. God has revealed things to us by his spirit. And so there's simplicity in everything that God does. For example, 
The Bible says, if you believe in your heart, that is you are convinced, you are convicted that you are a sinner. If you believe in your heart that you are a sinner and you confess with your mouth, you make a public declaration of this your conviction with your mouth that the Lord Jesus Christ is Lord indeed, that he is the Son of God and that he is the Savior of the world and the Savior of your sins, the one who will come and save you from sin and sinful living, not just by speech, that is your confession is not just by speech, but by your actions, by your deeds and your obedience, the Bible says, then you shall be saved. It's a very simple thing. There's nothing complex in it. I have been preached to and I believe in my heart that indeed I'm a sinner. And then I turn and say, but how can I be saved? And I'm told that the Lord Jesus Christ is my salvation. And then I, I make that declaration. I say, Lord, even as I had recognized myself to be a sinner and I cannot save myself, I plead with you, come and save my soul. You are saved. As long as it is done in sincerity. It's as simple as that. But we'd rather have somebody say to us that we should travel to Maiduguri and bring a cow, particularly from Sambisa Forest, that if we slaughter that particular cow, and spill its blood, and use it to touch our foreheads, then we shall be saved. We would rather have that. But God, knowing that there are some people who would not be able to do those things if you were to put, the, put all those things together, brought a very simple way. In fact, the Bible says that because men would not listen to these simple ways, you find the Jews looking for a miracle. You find the Greeks asking for knowledge. And many people, in seeking all these things, have lost touch with the reality of what God wants to do in their lives. In our next broadcast, we shall probe further on this matter of why we mistake the voice of God for the voice of man. But at this time, let us take more succinct observations that we've made in these discussions on the matter of why we make the mistake when God is speaking to us of, of, and assuming it to be man speaking to us. Number one, men mistake the voice of God for the voice of man because men ascribe human attributes of imperfection and of falsehood to the word of God. Men believe that, no, it is not God that is speaking. It is, um, it, 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 it is, it is men that are speaking. And that because men are imperfect, then, then definitely God is imperfect. In, in Numbers chapter 23, verse 19, Numbers chapter 23, verse 19, a man called Bela, who had a gift, let me put it that way, of cursing people, was called by King Balak to come and curse the people of Israel. God did not allow him to come the first time. The second time, Balak sent more worthy people with more gifts and more promises. And so he opted to go. He went again to ask God and God said, well, go, but you are going to speak only what I, what I said you should speak. So when he got there and Balak showed him, showed this Balaam, the people of Israel as they sprawled, he began to bless instead of cursing them. And Balak was of, of upset. I said, no, maybe, you are, maybe because you are seeing them as a massive crowd, you are intimidated. Let me show you just a little portion of them. So he took him to another part. And instead of cursing that little part again, he blessed them. And then Balak was upset. I said, what? I brought you to curse people. You are blessing them. Because everybody knew that anybody that Balaam curses is cursed. But God would not permit that to happen. So this is what Balaam said to Balak. To let him know that, look, I, I cannot do anything that God has said I should not do. In Numbers 23, he said, verse 19, he said, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? In verse 20, he says, Behold, I have received commandment to bless, and he hath blessed, and I cannot reverse it. Balaam was telling Balak, look, the words that I am speaking, 
It is the word of God. God has blessed them. I have no choice but to speak words of blessings. Balak thought that this was Balaam speaking. He didn't know that God had taken over and God was now blessing his people. Now, there are some things to note there. But before I begin to draw that out, I also want to read a parallel scripture, which is uh, 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 29. 1 Samuel 15, 29. Here, Samuel the prophet was speaking to King Saul, and among other things that he said, he noted this to him. He said, the strength of Israel, that is God, will not lie nor repent, for he is not a man that he should repent. This is similar to what Balaam said to Balak. The first thing I want us to note, it is true, men tell lies. Even men in authority, they, they lie. Men's words cannot be depended on because there's a lot of falsehood in it. Even when a man makes a promise and we know that he's able to keep the promise, it might turn out to be a lie because the man may not even be alive by the time that promise is to be fulfilled. But not God. God cannot lie. It is not in the nature of God to tell a lie. It is in the nature of Satan to lie. In fact, the Lord Jesus said that when Satan speaks, he speaks of his nature. He speaks according to his nature, which is to lie. God cannot waver. God does not waver. If God were to say something, because you didn't compel him to say, he said it on his own. If God makes a promise to you, you cannot compel him to make that promise. He, he wanted to make the promise. That is why he made the promise. So he's not going to change. And if God were to change at all, there will be a provision in that promise. There is like an if. Most promises of God have conditional statements attached. The if statement is there. If you do this, I will do this. If you don't do this, I won't do this. So if the condition is not met, then God is not bound to fulfill it. But God does not waver on his promises. Again, God has the ability and authority to perform what he says. He is not a man. Has he, not, has he spoken something? He will bring it to pass. So the fact that I'm not seeing those things happening does not mean that it is not God who spoke to me. It just probably means that it is not yet the time for those things to happen. I must therefore have a conviction in my spirit whether it is God who is speaking or man. Otherwise, I will confuse myself when the events around do not agree with what God has said. And that usually is the case. After God has spoken a word to us and we go step outside, we will soon discover that what God has said does not agree with what we are seeing with our eyes, which is why the Bible says we walk by faith, not by sight. So let us stop ascribing human attributes to God and to his word. Secondly, men mistake the voice of God for the voice of man because they see God's word as a human invention. There are people who believe that Paul wrote the letters from his mind, that Peter the same, that even holy men of God wrote the way the things seem to appear to them. Just like we observe today, we see some people just speaking based on looking at the environment, not going to hear from God. Yet the Bible insists that these all spoke as God inspired them, as God directed them, as God led them to. I'll give you an example. When a man represents a president at a forum and reads a speech from the president, that speech is never ascribed to the man who is reading it. It is ascribed to the president. That is the president speaking. Even the president cannot turn around and say, oh, I didn't say that. Because that is a speech which he gave somebody to read. In the same way, the Bible, the scriptures that we have, were written by men that God dictated to and said, write it this way, write it like this, say it like this, and so on and so forth. Even when we preach the word of God, 
For those who are in tune with God, God will direct them on how to make a presentation. It is not my man speaking, it will be God speaking at that point in time. But don't take my words for it. You need to judge who that person is, whether he's holy. Because a holy God cannot send an unholy man to you. He could under certain circumstances. If you are not going to heed his word from a holy man, he could send an unholy man to serve as a judgment to you. That I spoke by righteous men, you didn't listen. Now I'm speaking to you by your own kind and you still are not listening. Thirdly, men mistake the voice of God for the voice of man because they don't see or know how the things spoken can happen. I told you that when, when we hear God speaking, we, we begin to assume that, oh, it is, it is someone else, it, 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 cannot, it cannot be God because the environment do not uh, agree with it. A classical example is to be found in 2 Kings chapter 7. 2 Kings chapter 7, we will not be reading it because of uh, time. But I'll advise you to read it. There was a siege against the nation of Israel. And um, in the course of this siege, a famine broke out. It was so severe a famine that people were paying a lot of money for the, the head of a donkey. People were even buying bird's poop. In fact, it was so bad that some women decided to kill their children and eat their children. That was how bad it was. And then one day, Elisha the prophet spoke and said, by this time of tomorrow, food will be everywhere. It will be cheap. And there was a man there, obviously a high official of the, of the king. The Bible says that the king leaned on this man. The man said to Elisha, if even the windows of heaven were to be opened, these things cannot be so. The man was depending on his understanding of economics, of his understanding of politics, on his understanding of international relations, and so on and so forth. He had said to him, said, look, even if you were to plant corn, let's assume you, you put it, you gave it all the fertilizer, it, it had hybrid seed, you put all the water, and it grew today. You will still have to harvest it, so it cannot be cheap. Or, even if the blockade were to be released today, this instant, I will still have to make international discussions with other nations to before, and before the ships start coming in, it will take time. The man was looking at what the prophet was saying from his own perspective, not from the perspective of God. But by the time you read the end of the story, you will see how it indeed happened that God had made a provision by his word and it happened as such. So we make that mistake when God is speaking, thinking that it is a man speaking, because when we look at the, the circumstances of what God is saying, it's just not practical. In our mind, it cannot happen that way. Fourthly, Men mistake the voice of God for the voice of man because they see the Lord Jesus Christ as a mere mortal. Some say that he's a guru, but he's not God. Others say he's a great idealist, but he's not God. Some others say he is no doubt the most famous person that ever walked the face of the earth, but he's not God. And as a result, they say his words are one of many other options that is at our disposal. So when we're looking at other words, we come and look at the word of Jesus and say, okay, maybe we can listen to this. But definitely the words of the apostles, they throw it away. And because of this, even when God is speaking to them, they don't respond. And they miss out on the wonderful blessings that God is bringing to them. Fifthly, men mistake the voice of God for the voice of men because such men have not the spirit of God living and operating in them and leading them into truth so that they can receive truth. I'm going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 2 from verse 9 through to verse 14. It says, but as it is written, 
I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit, by his spirit. For the spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. We get to know the things of God that eyes have not seen, that ears have not heard, that have not even entered into the hearts of man by the spirit of God. In verse 11, the Bible says, For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. He says, your own thoughts, they are known only to you in your mind. In the same way, the things of God are known only to the spirit of God which is with God. Now, he says, we have received not the spirit of the world. We have not received the nature of this world. We have not received the way and manner by which the world operates. That is not the spirit that we receive. But we receive the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. By the spirit of God, we get to know truth. Truth is what the spirit of God speaks to us. Men may say what, thing, what may seem to be truth, but is not truth. Indeed, the Lord Jesus is truth. And so we hear the Lord Jesus speaking to us by his spirit and telling us the things that are, the things that will be, the things that have already taken place. In verse 13 it says, Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. We are not hearing the word of God in the way and manner that men teach. We are hearing the word of God in the way and manner that God himself is teaching us. By his spirit. Because these are spiritual things. And so we are learning them by the spirit of God. For example, no matter how much you try to tell a three-year-old how a man and a woman copulate to have children, he can never understand it. So we are finite beings trying to understand an infinite being who is God. We cannot understand that. We will need an interface, his spirit to copulate with our own spirit and speak his word into our spirit man and cause us to receive it. We, we may not necessarily understand it, but we receive the word of God as the word of God. The highest of human faculties cannot comprehend the list of what God is doing. It will take somebody who is spiritual to understand what God is doing because what God does is spiritual. It's not natural. Even though it manifests in the natural, it is first and foremost spiritual. In verse 14, the Bible says, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. You cannot not have the Spirit of God and be able to know what God is saying. So that even when God is speaking to you, Without the Spirit of God in you, you will believe that that is a man speaking. And you are most likely going to subject the Word of God to your own scrutiny according to your standards. You will debate with it. You will argue out the Word of God. You would even disagree with it and even disapprove the Word of God. But if you have the Spirit of God, you will know that this is God speaking to you. So men mistake the voice of God for the voice of men because they do not have the Spirit of God operating within them. In, many, in some instances, they have even told the Spirit of God to get away from them, even though they may be born again. But they have refused to heed him, heed his words, and so they told him to leave. Finally, men mistake the voice of God 
for the voice of man. Because of the simplicity or the straightforwardness or the literal nature with which men tend to look at things. We've said earlier that we have a finite mind. So with our finite mind, we, we understand certain things the way we want to understand them. We don't go beyond our own understanding. And so it is difficult to appreciate when God is speaking to us. Whereas what God is saying to us is simple. It's straightforward. It's even literal. And so but in our own mind, we say, no, 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 no. This cannot be the case. For example, there are many people who find it hard to believe that the world was created in six literal days. Some people have said, but the scientists have proven that the earth has been around for millions of years. The scientists cannot prove anything. The reality of it is that the earth has been there. The Bible says that that much in Genesis chapter 1 verse 2, that the earth was without form, was without void, was void rather. There was chaos and darkness covered the face of the deep. But that the Spirit of God hovered over, over chaotic matter. And that God said in, in verse 3, God said, let there be light and there was light. But when you have the Spirit of God within you, you will know that the world that we have today was brought about by the spoken word of God. That God spoke and things appeared. God said, let there be light and there was light. He said, let the waters separate, waters on the ground separate from the waters above and the waters found their way. Then he said, let the earth appear and let the waters go to a place and the earth appeared. And the waters gathered into what we now call the oceans and the rivers and the seas in six literal days. I'm going to read John chapter 3. And I believe that should be the last uh, major scripture that we shall be reading in this broadcast. John chapter 3. This is the encounter that the Lord Jesus had with a man called Nicodemus. And I'm going to read from verse 1. And I'm going to read up to verse 21. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no one can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, or certainly, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Please know that except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? This was the, what, what, what we're saying. He looked at the statement of the Lord Jesus Christ in a literal manner with his finite mind and began to ask, Am I going to re-enter into my mother's womb? What do you mean by born again? What is this statement you're talking of being born again? What does it really mean? In verse 5, Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily again, truly, truly, or most assuredly, or certainly, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Except a man, there are many translations, there are many interpretations, but the simple interpretation this can mean is that except you are born, naturally and you are born spiritually you cannot enter into the kingdom of God we are all born naturally but we will not enter the kingdom of God on the basis of, of being born naturally we must now be born spiritually so to be born again is to be born from above to be born by the spirit of God that's what the Lord Jesus was trying to say except there's a rebirth that takes place in your life and some psychologists and psychiatrists have lashed onto this and formed a cult or some things and they talk of the rebirth, bringing somebody back into a new life and they create the figure of a womb and put somebody inside an old person and say, now, as you are coming out, you are coming out into a new, into a new being. But that's not what the scripture say. The scripture is saying that this new birth is a spiritual rebirth. 
It is something that happens from above. Another way of interpreting born again is to be born from above, to be born anew, to be born afresh. And goes on in verse, he says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the spirit. You cannot predict this fellow. Because he's born of the spirit, you cannot predict him. He goes as the spirit of God directs him and leads him. So you can't, you can't lay hold on it. The things that God is saying, except the Spirit of God is working in you, you cannot even begin to ap appreciate, let alone appropriate it. In verse 9, Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Because it, it was difficult for him to appreciate. He just couldn't understand it with his final mind. How, how we, I, what are you talking about, sir? What are you saying, sir? In verse 10, Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Are you a church leader, a spiritual leader, and you don't know these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. We are speaking of things that we know, we are speaking of things that we have seen. You can't receive, you don't even want to receive our witness. Look at verse 12, it says, If I have told you earthly things, mundane things, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? The concept of being born again is an earthly thing. When you surrender your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, when you submit yourself and admit and accept that you are a sinner, he comes, takes away your sin, makes you a new creation, a new creature, a new creation, and you can begin to live afresh. It is as though you were born anew, that you have no sins anymore. That is what it means to be born again. In verse 13 it says, And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven, that is speaking about himself. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. He was talking about Moses when the children of Israel in the wilderness were beaten by snakes because they murmured, because they sinned against God. They were beaten by snakes in the wilderness and they, and they died. Moses cried unto God and God said, look, make a serpent of bronze, put it upon a pole and lift it up. Uh, on the highest part of the camp. Now, if anybody is beaten by the snake and they lift up their eyes and look at that brazen serpent, then they shall leave. That's what the Lord Jesus is saying. And we know that today, the medical science, they use that same sign as the sign of medical care. The Lord Jesus was saying that the way Moses lifted up that serpent and people looked upon that serpent and were saved, he's saying in verse 15, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have eternal life. He said in that same way, he, the Son of God, will have to be lifted up on a pole. And that anybody who looks upon him in repentance and with conviction in his heart, that person will be saved. And we know that Jesus Christ hung on the cross. So we're not talking of looking at a literal cross. But we're saying that if you acknowledge his death upon the cross as being a death for you, a sinner, then you are saved. You are forgiven of your sins, which you have repented of, of course. You are pardoned and you are brought into a new relationship. And your sins from the past, from the time you were born of Adam till date, they are completely wiped away so that it is as though you committed no sin at all. You are now a new creation. You are now born again. You are now born anew. I know that part of the confusion is that we see people say they are born again and they are still going lapsing into sin. That is a conversation for a different time. But the point is that if you are indeed born again, the power to fight against sin, to overcome sin has been given to you. 
You cannot knowingly commit sin. It's not possible. In verse 16 it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, whosoever is anybody, it is not about religion. You can be a Muslim and give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. You can be a Buddhist, a Hindu, and surrender your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Whosoever. It's not about religion. It's not about position. It's not about title. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. There is nothing I'm going to say to you now that will convince you except by the Spirit of God. And if the Spirit of God is speaking to you and bringing conviction to you that indeed the life you are living now is a life of sin, that is the Spirit of God convincing you and convicting you of sin to bring you to the place of salvation. But he doesn't just leave you with the conviction that you are a sinner. He also gives you the way out. And the way out is Jesus Christ. In verse 17, the Lord Jesus Christ says, For God sent not, God sent not his Son, that is himself, into the world to condemn the world. No. But that the world through him might be saved. He brought conviction, not condemnation. In verse 18 he says, He that believeth on him, that is on the Lord Jesus Christ, is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. Because this is why you are condemned. Because he hath not believed in the name or the authority of the only begotten Son of God. You have said, yes, we know that uh, he's a popular guru. He's a popular man. He is a great man. But he is not the Son of God. This is your condemnation. And, verse 19, and this is the con condemnation. That light is come into the world. And men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. So when light came, instead of opening ourselves up to the light and receiving the salvation that comes with the light, we put a veil and cover that light so that we can continue to do our evil deeds, which are things said to be the, the works of darkness. In verse 20, the Lord Jesus says, For everyone that doeth evil hated the light, neither cometh to the light lest his deeds should be reproved. When people do wrong, I remember those days when we were all young, and I'm sure some of you would recall, when you have done something wrong at home, you go out and play, and then when it is getting to night time, when you have to return home, you begin to faint tears because you don't want to be beaten. You run away from home because you didn't want to be beaten. You didn't want your deeds to be exposed. You didn't want to be reproved for the wrong that you did. Light has come, but men refuse light. They chose darkness. So men refuse Christ as God because they like their darkness. They like what they are doing. They know that if they were to come to God now, they would have no choice but to live by his word, to live by his doctrine, by his decrees. Finally in verse 21 it says, but he that doeth truth cometh to the light and his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. We are saying basically that the call to salvation is a simple thing. Is as simple as admitting that you are a sinner. Admitting that you have been living the life of, of sin. And then recognizing that Jesus Christ came to pay the price for your sin. And that if this conviction is strong in your heart. And you make this declaration public. That Jesus indeed is your Lord and your Savior. You are saved. As simple as that. You don't need to carry any animal anywhere. You don't need to buy anything for anything to be done. Any ritual to be done. Nothing. It is with your heart and with your mouth that you make that statement. Nicodemus found it difficult to believe that. But as we read the scriptures, we know that eventually he came to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are listening to me and you have not yet surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, this is a call to repentance for you. Look at your life. You know 
You don't need anybody to preach to you that you're a sinner. You know what is right from what is wrong. I know the problem for many of us is the ability to do what is right. We cannot because our nature is to do wrong. So we continue to do wrong. But today the opportunity is being given to you to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Make your confessions in your heart, with your mouth. Say it. I am a sinner. I admit I have been living a sinful life. Today I come to you, Lord. Come and save my soul. I believe in my heart that you are the son of the living God. I believe in my heart that you are the savior of mankind from sin. I tell you the truth, my brother, my sister. The Lord Jesus will come into your life and you will experience a rebirth. You will begin to hate sin. The sins you love to do, you will hate them. You will not know how it happened because Christ has come into you by his spirit to live in you. You will begin to hear God speak to you, giving you directions for life. Telling you don't go here because these people will corrupt you. Don't do, don't have nothing to do with these friends. Leading you even to a church that you should worship. There are many people who go to church but have not yet entered into this relationship. I was blessed listening to a pastor say once that he had been, he had been in church all his life from when he was a young kid. But a time came when God spoke to him through a preacher. He knew that day that he was a sinner. And he hated the sin that was in his life. That was the day his life was changed. As long as you still have love for sin, your life cannot change. You may, you may have answered altar calls left, right and center, but you know that your life is, is not because you have not yet come to that full realization that indeed you are a sinner. The Bible tells us about the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, that when he came to his senses, when he came to the realization that he was killing himself in a, foreign, in a foreigner's home, Whereas in his father's home, he had much that he could benefit from. He said, no, I'm going back to my father. And I'm going to, I'm going to say to him that I have sinned against you and I've sinned against him. The day you come to that realization, that is the day your repentance comes. That is the day your salvation also comes. I want to challenge those of us who say that we are born again. To grow beyond this born again. And to start living for God. Walking in the light. The light of the word of God. The light of the revelation of the word of God. To stick to it. To study the word of God, to look at the word of God, the entire Bible, this book, as the word of God. What is written in here was written for you and I. The Bible says was written for our own admonition. To us to learn lessons and not make the mistakes that others made. Let us read the Bible and grow thereby. I want to challenge those of us who are walking with the Holy Spirit at this time. To be more and more at home with him. To be more and more familiar with him. So that we can know without a shadow of doubt when God is speaking to us. So that we will not be misled and think that, oh, this is a man. And then we miss out on the benefits of the blessings that God has for us. So until we meet again, I say, please pray. Those of you who are not yet born again, pray. Ask God for your salvation and he will give it to you. You are already born again. Have a deeper relationship with God. Ask God. Tell him in prayer that you want a deeper relationship with him. He will give it to you. Those of us who are already walking with him, ask for an even deeper walk. So that when you hear the voice of God, you will know without a shadow of doubt. And this is God's speaking.